Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. And today we're going to continue this series by looking at an instance where a group of people, a group of religious leaders, were sinking because they were putting their trust in the wrong thing. And we're going to look at that today as we look at Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. But before we open up Matthew and look at chapter 15 together, uh, I want to just make an offer to all of you today. And that offer is this, who would like an iPhone? You want an iPhone, just I see like two hands at the back. You need to ask your parents about that. I'm not sure that that's authorized. But, but here's the thing. Before you accept this gift of an iPhone, you need to know some things about it, okay? The, the first thing you need to know is that this phone is in immaculate condition on the outside. The screen has no scratches on it. The sides have no dings on it. It's a beautiful white and silver model. So you need to know that. That's, that's something good. But here's the second thing that you need to know about this. It doesn't work. Not at all. Not even a little bit does this phone work. Because this phone was baptized uh, a number of years ago. It made a profession of water and it went in and it came out and it no longer works. And so this, this phone is uh, somewhat worthless for the task that it was originally created for. It will not power on. It doesn't do anything for which it was created. It looks great. It does nothing for which it was created. But the second thing you need to know is this. This is an iPhone 5, a relic from the year 2012. And even though it's only six years old, this phone no longer operates the most current operating system. So even if it did power on, it wouldn't do what you need it to do. You still want it? Two hands are still eager to get <laughs> the most decorative paperweight in all of East Norman. Friends, I'm not here today to talk about iPhones, but I do think this broken phone uh, teaches us something about religion. You see, in religion, there are things that look good. There are rules and regulations that people will dress up and will want to hand off to you, promising that they will work, promising that they will do something that you want them to do, which is to connect you with the God who created you. See, religions are full of rules and regulations for how to pretty up our outside. But the problem is those rules and regulations that merely pretty up our outside never turn on. They're totally impotent to accomplish the purpose that they promise. And not only that, but a connection to God based merely on the externals, a connection to God that is based exclusively on traditions that we live out in our lives is operating on a system that is no longer regulatory in the world. You see, Jesus Christ came not to offer us a different religion, but to offer us a relationship with the living God. And he did so by giving to us a brand new operating system that actually works, that transforms the interior of our lives and makes it possible for us to not have an iPhone 5 kind of Christianity. 
but a dynamic and real relationship with God. You want that? I want that. But the challenge is, we live in a world, and the world has been this way for a long, long time, that promises a relationship with God based on something else, that promises a relationship with God based on religious tradition and external observations and practices. Jesus confronted that in Matthew chapter 15, and we're going to see that today. And hopefully by looking at this, we will be challenged and encouraged to trust Christ from the heart this morning, that he would transform us from the inside out. If you've got a Bible open to Matthew chapter 15, we're going to look at the first 20 verses of Matthew 15 together today. And our plan will be, I'll, I'll read these verses and then we'll back up and we'll find out a little more what they mean. Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, goes like this. It says, Then the Pharisees and the scribes, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him, and he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know what the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And Jesus said, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up, Let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart, comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. In these 20 verses, we see Jesus challenging the religious tradition of his day by offering something greater. Let's take a look at what we see here. We're going to see two things this morning. The first thing that I think we need to see is this. We cannot stand on tradition. We cannot stand before God on tradition alone. It simply will not support us ultimately in the end. Now, where do we see that inside of this passage? Well, we begin to see it right there in verse 1. It says that Jesus was, was visited by a group of Pharisees and scribes who came to him from Jerusalem. Now, where was this group of, where was Jesus that this group came and visited him? Well, last week we saw that Jesus was out with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. 
remember he went walking to them out on the water. They were on a boat. That boat eventually landed in the town of Gennesaret. And so Jesus is with the disciples at Gennesaret. And while he's there, he's, again, doing what Jesus does. He's preaching his message of the gospel. And he is healing the sick. As a matter of fact, people are sneaking up behind him and just touching the edge of his cloak. And as they touch the edge of his cloak, they're being healed of their diseases. And this incredible scene is unfolding up in Gennesaret. Well, meanwhile, such a stir is created around Jesus that religious leaders in the city of Jerusalem go to meet him. Now, let's just see this on the map because this is a little bit helpful. This is a map of Israel, at least the northern kind of half of it. The city of Jerusalem right there at the bottom of the map. And Jesus is with the disciples all the way up at Gennesaret in the north. Now, the distance between Jerusalem and Gennesaret was a distance of about 80 miles. And so here's what I think we need to see in the midst of this. There were a group of religious leaders that walked 80 miles to ask Jesus a question. Now, walking 80 miles, we need to translate that. It's about a week's journey. There were a group of religious leaders that dedicated a week of their lives to walk 80 miles in order to ask Jesus a question. Well, what do they ask him? They ask him why his disciples didn't wash their hands the right way. Just let that sink in for a moment. An 80-mile journey to ask a question, not about Jesus' practice of washing hands. They didn't have the courage to ask that. No doubt Jesus' disciples washed their hands the way Jesus did. They had the WWJD bracelet. They did the whole thing. But these religious leaders from Jerusalem did not even have the courage to ask about Jesus' personal practice in this area, but they walked all that way to ask about the practice of his disciples washing hands. They were concerned about the tradition that his disciples were not following. Now, in order to make a little bit of sense of of that idea, we need to look a little over in Mark chapter 7, where Mark is writing to a non-Jewish audience, and he explains what the situation was a little better. It helps us to know that the Old Testament did not provide the level of detail that the Jews currently practiced in Jesus' day in terms of hand washing. But there had been an oral tradition that had been passed down by various rabbis that had instructed the Jews on exactly how they were to wash their hands. And this tradition at Jesus' day was still oral, but about 100 years after Jesus' life, it was recorded in something called the Mishnah. And inside the Mishnah, there was an entire book, number of pages long, that dealt merely with how to wash your hands. Things were mentioned inside of that document that said, if you're going to wash one hand, you can use one pitcher, but if you're going to wash both hands, you need at least two pitchers of water. And if you wash two hands with only one pitcher of water, then you're not clean enough to eat, and your life is somehow offensive to God. This was the kind of tradition that the Pharisees and the scribes were practicing down in Jerusalem, but that Jesus and his disciples were ignoring in Galilee. And so these guys walk 80 miles to ask a question, not about the Scripture. They walk 80 miles to not 
talk to Jesus about how in the world this phenomena is happening where people are touching the edge of his garment and they're being healed. To not walk 80 miles to ask him how he's fed 5,000 men plus women and children with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. No, no, no. They walk 80 miles in order to ask him how come he doesn't wash his hands and his friends don't wash their hands with enough water. The absurdity of that, right? But friends, we need to remember that that problem was not just their problem. That problem can be our problem too, right? It's totally possible for us to get high-centered in life over things that the Bible doesn't teach but that become really important to us because they follow some kind of a tradition that we're familiar with. Things that the Bible doesn't teach but that we practice at First Baptist of Godibo. And because we did it at First Baptist of Godibo, it needs to happen that way everywhere I go or somehow we're not spiritual enough. Or it might be something else. It might not be a practice that you saw inside of a church. It might be the, the teaching of a particular pastor or author that you like. You think if you don't believe and articulate the faith in the same words and ways that this famous pastor does or this famous speaker does or this famous author does, that somehow you are going to be denigrated and you're unacceptable to God, not because of what the Scripture says, but because of our adherence to a human author. Or it might be over a a translation of the Scripture. If you're really spiritual, you use the ESV like I do or the King James Version or whatever it might be. But friends, there's the original was written in Greek and Hebrew, not in King James English or 1970s English or 1990s English. See, we can get high-centered on a tradition and we use it as a rule of thumb to say this is what makes someone spiritual and That's what was happening with the the Pharisees and the scribes. They come to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, you guys aren't doing religion right. Imagine that. The Son of God, you're not doing your religion correctly. The audacity of that. Well, how does Jesus answer them? He answers them in in verses 3 and following, and he, he gives them a counter question. He says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? In other words, you have placed your tradition above the Word of God. And then he gives an example for how that has played out. He says, For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Those are quotations from Exodus chapter 20 and chapter 22. That's the Word of God that Jesus is quoting. But he says, But you say, Pharisees and scribes, If anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. See, what was happening here? See, the Pharisees, though they were very intent on their hand-washing practices, were neglecting the clear teaching of God's word in other areas. You see, in The book of Exodus and the Ten Commandments, there's a commandment that is given with a promise. And it's a commandment with a promise without an expiration date. It's to honor your father and mother. And that looks one way when you're young, but when it's older, it looks like you provide for or you help provide for your parents. Josh, you listening? Am I listening? My parents listen to the podcast. 
This is the clear teaching of the Word of God, that we are to provide for our parents. And yet, the scribes and the Pharisees had come up with a way around that. They'd come up with a way out of it. And their way out of it was this. They would say, everything I have is given to God. Now, it's still in my bank account, but I'm going to say it is all the Lord's. And, and by saying that, they were able to say, because I gave it to God, I can't give it to mom and dad. And so they were able to keep access to their resources and neglect the clear teaching of Scripture. They had put their tradition, their interpretation above the clear teaching of the Word of God. And Jesus says, you hypocrite, how can you do such a thing? How can you, you, you make these traditions, whether it's hand washing or, or whether it's making these statements that, that impress everybody else, how can you have those things, those externals, how can you have those be the foundation that you're trying to stand before God on? Jesus says, it doesn't work. You're a hypocrite. You're like an actor. It's skin deep. You're going to sink. And Jesus gives a couple of examples to illustrate the futility of trying to stand on human tradition by illustrating a couple of things about tradition. The first thing that he illustrates about tradition is that tradition can merely codify or put into concrete an error from the past. That's what tradition can do. It can make permanent somebody else's mistake. He points this out by quoting the the prophet Isaiah in verse 7 and following. He says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Friends, Isaiah wrote his prophecy 700 years before Jesus was born. What Jesus is doing when he quotes Isaiah here is he says, the mistake that you're making is an old mistake that your tradition poured concrete over. 700 years ago, the contemporaries of Isaiah were making the same mistake that you're making now by elevating their externals over the internal, by being more interested in what others see as our righteousness than truly relating to God from the heart. By following the traditions of men over the clear teaching of Scripture. Jesus said the problem with following tradition is that you could just follow a concrete encased error from the past. Have the Word of God be your foundation. This is the only authority that has stood that test of time. Second thing he does is in verses 12 and following, he, he talks about the mistake of the Pharisees. And he, he says, Then the disciples came and they said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And Jesus said, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. In other words, there are those who are leading traditions. They're wrong. And if you follow them, not only will they end up in the pit, but you'll end up in the pit with them. Jesus was was warning them, and it's preserved so that we might be warned today to, to not be infatuated with following a tradition of man, even if it looks spiritual, even if it is applauded by our peers. The foundation needs to go back to the Word of God. He should go back to God himself. We can't stand on tradition. It's not enough to 
to just have a practice of religion on the outside that looks impressive. That's about as effective as a baptized iPhone 5. It doesn't turn on. It doesn't accomplish what it said it's going to do. The first thing we see is we cannot stand on tradition alone. But what else do we see here? Second thing we see is this. We see that we need an internal overhaul, not just a fresh coat of paint. You see, if, if religion was what we needed, it, it's like a coat of paint. It's something that's merely on the exterior of our lives, something that can make ourselves look a little more devout, a little more righteous, a little more spiritual. If our problem was small, we could just have somebody tell us some things to do, we would do them and we would be good enough. But what Jesus does in in this section of Scripture is he reminds us that our problem is much deeper than just what we do on the outside. Our problem is much more profound than, than just the religious activities we do or don't do. It's more serious than just the foods that we eat or don't eat, the things we drink or don't drink, the filter we have on our computer or not the filter we have on our computer. It is more serious than whether we attend church or don't attend church. Our problem is much more significant than just the external. It goes all the way to the heart. Verse 10 and 11, Jesus makes it clear. He called the people to him, And Jesus said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. In other words, the problem is not just around us. The problem is inside of us. See, our our, our chief problem is not our friends. Our chief problem is not the world. Our chief problem is is not our religious fervency. Those are all things out here. And even if we secluded ourselves from the wrong people, or even if we we secluded ourselves from the temptations of the world that are are most challenging to us, and and friends, I'm not saying that we, we shouldn't take some of those steps. But even if we did those things, we still could find ourselves tempted to sin. We still could find ourselves living out a life that is not following Christ. It's still mired in sinfulness. Why? Because the thing that defiles us is not something out there. It's something in here. Jesus makes that that clear. You know, I was thinking about this. Um, John Walvoord says this about this idea. He says, the occupation with the outward religious ceremony instead of inner transformation of the heart has all too often attended all forms of religion and has plagued the church as well as it has Judaism. How many Christians in church history have been executed for differences of opinion on the meaning of the Lord's Supper elements or the mode of baptism or for failure to bow to church authority? The heart of man, which is so incurably religious, is also incurably evil apart from the grace of God. Now, let me put it in a different context to maybe help remind us of this. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Village. It's a movie that came out a few years ago, M. Night Shyamalan movie. I think that's how you pronounce his name. 
Here's the thing. If you haven't seen it, I'm getting ready to spoil it for you, okay? So just disclaimer, spoiler alert now. Uh, but this, this movie is a movie about a number of people who all had a member of their family who was murdered. And what they, they did, their response to that was they decided to make a settlement, a village, that would be isolated from the rest of the world. It was surrounded by a, 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 a perimeter that could not be penetrated. And, and their belief was this, if we could just isolate away from everybody else, we'll be safe. But here's what happened. Eventually, a murder happens in that village. Well, what happened? Well, one of the members of that community ends up killing another. What's the message? What's the point? The point is this. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. There's a problem on the interior of each of us. So we need something more than just tradition and religion. Jesus eventually begins to explain this a little more. Peter speaks up, as he was prone to do, and and says to him, Jesus, could you explain this to us? Put a little more color around it so that we understand what you're talking about. And so Jesus said, Peter, are you you still without understanding? Do Do you not see what I'm trying to say here? He says, whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. In other words, when you think the problem is out there, you're forgetting the fact that the stuff that is out there that you ingest into your life goes into your stomach and then ends up in the latrine. But the things that ultimately defile us, the things that lead to our downfall, our our, our sinfulness, comes not by how much water we use when we wash our hands. The problem that we have is not in the religious externals. The problem we have is on the interior of our lives. Verse 17, you not see that whatever goes in passes through the mouth and into the stomach and then is expelled. Verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder and adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. He picks a few sins there that convict each of us, right? Some things that that we are tempted with, some things that we struggle with. Why do we struggle with them? It's not just because of what's out there, it's because of what's in here. And out of the heart, those things become an expression of our sinfulness. Verse 20, these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And what's interesting, when we we look at all of that, we're reminded of a principle that is illustrated throughout the rest of the New Testament, and that is that Jesus is not just concerned with our externals, our outside, but our inside. He doesn't want to just put a fresh coat of paint on our outside, but he wants to transform us on the inside as well. He wants to do a full remodel inside of us. We see that kind of language in a number of different places and commands that are given in the, in the New Testament. What are some of the things that are, are mentioned? Well, we're, we're called to believe from the heart. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. We're, we're not just to, to attend church. We're not just to join a class. We're not just to get in a baptismal tank, but we're to believe from the heart that Jesus is who he says he is and to embrace his gift of life. We're to believe from the heart. The next thing, we're we're, we're called to love from the heart. 
Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus gives the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself from the heart. Not just to convince everybody else around us that we're loving, but to, to actually love them and to care for them from the depth of our being and to love the Lord from the depth of our being. Not only that, we're to sing from the heart. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 talks about singing hymns and spiritual songs making melody in our hearts, being thankful in our hearts to God. Not just opening our mouths, not just having the people around us think that we're worshiping because our mouths are making noise or our hands are lifted, but from the heart, really exalting the name of God. We're, 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 called, we're called to sing from the heart. Not only that, we're called to obey from the heart. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 6, one of many admonitions for us to obey in different venues and in facets of light, says that we are to obey from the heart. Not just, again, not just having others go, wow, he looks obedient, but that we are actually obedient with a joyful heart, obeying the will of the Lord. Not only that, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7 talks about giving from the heart, giving joyously and not under compulsion, that when the bag is passed, we're not putting it in there so that our neighbor sees us putting money in there. We're not putting it in there because we're begrudgingly made a commitment at some point in the past. But we're putting it in there with joy, high-fiving our, our friend or our spouse, celebrating and saying, thank you, Lord, for how you've provided for me. I'm giving back to you now a portion of what you've entrusted to me as a reminder that you own it all. Friends, when you look at this list and you, you see that we're called not merely just to have an external relationship with God, but an internal one that begins in the heart, what do you think? I'll tell you what I think. I think I need a new heart. Can you relate to that? Because if it's just about the externals, we think that we can accomplish that. But if what God wants is truly a renovation of our soul, that is a task that we're not up to. We need God to do something. But here's what's wonderful. The Lord is able to accomplish just that. David says in Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David wrote that psalm, he prayed that prayer, and a thousand years later, the Lord delivered on that promise. In Christ, what was hoped for by David is provided by God. He provides us a cleaned heart. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Friends, the, the clean heart that David hoped for is made possible in Christ who gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross so that we might be forgiven, so that our hearts that have fallen short in the areas I put up there earlier as well as so many other areas, Jesus has made a way for us who are sinful to be forgiven, to be cleansed. It's a part of the gift of new life that he has given to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 describes it this way. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, in Christ, we get that new that we need. If we feel the need for a new heart, it is possible for us to get it in Christ who not only cleanses us, but provides for us what was promised long ago. In Ezekiel chapter 36, 500 years or so before Jesus was born, there's this incredible prophecy in Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26, talking about the new operating system that God was going to install through Christ. This is what he says. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all of your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. See, friends, the new heart that we need was promised to be given when the new covenant was established. And that new covenant, that new relationship, the new operating system was established through Christ who cleanses us, but also who provides a new way for us to relate to God, not merely on the basis of externals, but on the inside. Not just through something that looks good, but doesn't work, but through one who looks perfect, Jesus and makes it possible for imperfect people like us to be renewed day by day by day. The process of growth and sanctification like we read earlier in Philippians chapter 1. Now friends, because that's what Christ is offering, how do we respond? What do we do? Well, a few things. The first thing that we need to do is we need to just realize that the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. Friends, if you are are struggling in the depths of addiction, definitely walk away from that addiction. Step away from, put the filter on your computer. um, Get involved in relationships with people that will hold you accountable. Whatever it might be that will allow you to take a step away, do that. But here's the thing, your problem is deeper than just that. You need more than than just walking away from those circumstances because, again, the root of the problem is not out there. The root of the problem is inside of here. We need to realize that we have this problem of sin that is inherent in our lives. And when we realize that we have this problem and the the wages of of that problem are death or separation from God, then we need to take that next step, which is to, to respond in, in trust in Christ, to receive by faith this new heart and new life that are promised in him, to believe that, that his death on the cross cleanses your heart, to believe that his resurrection from the dead makes you a new creation and gives you a new heart made of flesh and not of stone. And then the third thing is that we respond by following Jesus and the power of his Friends, I don't know where you you sit on that spectrum. No doubt there are some who are here today as we we walk through this this pattern and and this path that maybe God is inviting you this morning for the first time to recognize your need for a Savior and to trust in Christ and to go from death to life today. And if that's the case, in just a moment, as we pray, that you would pray from the heart 
embracing the gift of life in Christ. But for others of us who are stuck in in patterns of sinfulness, that we might look not merely to externals, that we might, might not try to turn back on a device that we know is broken. And instead, trust Jesus to continue to do through us what is otherwise impossible. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you today. Thank you for the truth of your word, and thank you so much for the the truth that your word points to. It reminds us that our hope is not found in our adherence to tradition, but our hope is found in Jesus, who is a living way, who makes it possible for us to be cleansed of our sin and to live a newness of life. Father, I pray today for all who are here, all who hear my voice, who may be being led by your Spirit in this moment to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, to recognize the problem that is inside of them and to trust the provision of Christ. I I pray that if there are any who hear that, that right now where they sit, that they would be trusting Christ, leaning into him. But Father, I also pray for all of us who maybe have trusted you at some point in the past, but have picked up the old device and tried to connect with you via the old system. I pray that today we would realize our need for transformation even still, and that we would trust in you and the new heart that you have given us, powered by your Spirit, to walk in your grace. Father, we thank you, and from the heart, we pray, and from the heart, we worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.